it's good to be here, I think. <laughs> and Cheryl, thank you for your kind words. I think uh, considering the age gap, it mightn't be long before you will have the time of shoelaces. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, too kind, too kind. And certainly, I don't feel in any way that, that's, uh, that I'm worthy of that praise. But this morning, we're going to talk about intercession. And just to start with, I'm, we're going to show you a wee video clip just to introduce the topic. Okay. Hopefully it'll come on. The Empire responds to the King's call. And at Westminster Abbey, heart of the Empire, the statesmen, the soldiers, the ambassadors, and hundreds of ordinary men and women join the mighty congregation. Her Majesty Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands arrives a few moments before their majesties. No one here today could foresee the grave news that has come from Belgium. All the more, it is well for us to show the world that we still believe in divine guidance, in the laws of Christianity. May we find inspiration and faith from this solemn day. Okay, well, I don't suppose anybody actually remembers that. <laughs> that was in uh, 1940. And Britain was very close to being totally defeated in the war. Um, the whole world expected them to give in and surrender. And uh, In fact, I believe that America wouldn't even come to help because they thought that uh, there wasn't much chance at this point. The entire British army was trapped at Dunkirk and in desperation, George VI called for a national day of prayer, which you've just seen on the news clip. And it was to be held on the 26th of May, 1940. And in a national broadcast, he instructed the people of the UK to turn back to God in the spirit of repentance and uh, to plead for divine help. So millions of people across the UK went to church that day. And you could see, see the queues going into Westminster Abbey. The like of it was maybe never seen or maybe never not seen since. In fact, I don't see too many queues waiting to get into a prayer <laughs> to pray. <laughs> but anyway, um, but two events immediately came after that. And I think when we're, when we're taught in history about the war or some of us are taught about it, I don't think that it's highlighted that there was this day of prayer. How many of you knew about the day of prayer? And so you see the queues, and this was even on the news, but it, nobody tells it nowadays. So two events came immediately after. Firstly, there was a violent storm in the Dunkirk region, and this meant that the uh, Luftwaffe, is that the right way to say it? The German Air Force had to be grounded, and they had been bombarding and killing thousands on the beaches at Dunkirk. So they were grounded. And just after that, then, a great calm came on the channel, the like of which hadn't been seen for many years. That meant that many little boats could get across the channel. And in fact, that day they rescued 335,000 or over a little while, 335,000 soldiers from Dunkirk. They only expected that they would be able to rescue about a tenth of that. In recognition of this, there was another uh, national event, and that was a day of national thanksgiving called on Sunday the 19th of June. So really big events in response to prayer. So let's move forward a wee bit. And it started as a Monday night church prayer meeting. Well, we can imagine what a Monday night church prayer meeting would look like, can't we? 
We used to have one here, and what did it look like? Does anybody know? <laughs> a, ha a few, a handful of people, okay. That's how it started in Leipzig. But by 1989, more than 70,000 people were filling the streets of Leipzig in East Germany, praying that there would be an end to the communist regime. The authorities actually had announced that they were going to put this counter rising down by whatever means it took. And in fact, the churches in Leipzig were all preparing for a bloodbath and they were set up as emergency medical clinics. <coughs> Snipers were positioned on the rooftops and tanks were patrolling the streets. But the Christians filled the streets with candles and chanted, no violence. And a short time later, there were 120,000 in all of the cities around the borders of East Germany. A few weeks later, just three weeks later, the Berlin Wall came down. And there wasn't one drop of bloodshed, and there wasn't one gunshot. Almost unheard of. And one communist official apparently was heard to say that uh, it'd been prepared and ready for anything, but not candles or prayers. So, quite something, isn't it? So just to bring it in a bit closer, a grandmother and an uncle near Donough Moor prayed frequently for a family about 15 miles away. And two little girls were drawn closer to Jesus and eventually gave their lives to him. It was very unlikely that that would happen in that household. And I know that because I was one of them. So prayer, intercession. So it seems prayer does work and sometimes we think it doesn't. But those are enormous events, aren't they? They're enormous events. And for me, the personal one is actually just as enormous as the, uh, the big national ones. So should we intercede? Will we intercede? The funny thing is that we do have great difficulty getting down to prayer. Maybe that's because we actually have an enemy who knows that prayer is a very dangerous weapon and he doesn't want us to pray. Could that be part of it? I'm sure it's part of it. But what I want to do is look a bit more at uh, the conversation that Jason started so well. But first of all, we're going to look at some scriptures. Now, I have quite a few scriptures because I really want you to know this is a scriptural thing <laughs> that God really does want us to pray, just in case you have any doubt about it. <clears throat> so if you want to get Bibles out, anybody need Bibles from the front? Well, all right. I'm going to read them fairly quickly. So if you can follow them, you're a whole good one. But uh, it's just really as, as a good reminder. So here they all are up here. So Second Chronicles. And you'll know a lot of these. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. He says in Isaiah, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. In Ezekiel, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and they mistreat the foreigner denying them justice. I looked for someone among them 
who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them. Romans. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, join in my struggles by praying to God for me. Ephesians. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Philippians. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us. In many of the letters in the New Testament, he says, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. Timothy, I urge you, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And in verse 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. James 5, is anyone in trouble? Pray. Of course, we have the Lord's Prayer, which we're looking at uh, these weeks. And today, you may have guessed we're doing thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have all the examples that Jason went over in the last couple of weeks about Jesus and how he loved to withdraw to lonely places to pray. He even prayed all night sometimes. You wonder what he was talking about. Because I don't know. Maybe we sometimes pray all night if there's a big crisis in our lives. But I don't think we do it very often. So um, we also have lots of scriptures where there are written prayers of the Old Testament saints and the, the, and the New Testament. Lots of, lots of prayers of characters. In fact, the book of Psalms might be considered a whole book of prayer. So right up to the present, <laughs> last weekend, uh, we were at the vineyard, Ireland Leaders Conference, and again they called us to prayer. It was quite a theme running through the weekend that we should pray and come back to prayer and be a people of intercession. So we're getting the picture, I think, aren't we? The prayer is very important, that it has impact from an international down to a personal level. The scriptures are abundant and clear about it. So what on earth keeps us from it? Not, not forgetting we have an enemy. What else keeps us from it? So speaking just really for myself, I think that there, there are very key issues. And because presence, the presence and the, the sense of the presence of God um, within and around is so important. Although Jason touched it last week, I'm going to just go over it again because I think it really is key. But before I do that, I'm going to quote one of our very own. And in our midst, though not today, because he's away picking people up from the airport, there's a tall, dark, handsome gentleman, quite remarkable, quite quiet. And he came here over land and sea, traveling about 2,000 miles a few years ago, and with his family. And two weeks ago at our community group, 
He made one of the most simply profound comments I've heard in a long time. It's very simple, but it's very deep, and it has just stuck in my mind. Have we, it? we put it up there now? This is what he said. <clears throat> How would you know what your father wants if you never listen to him? I will read it again. How would you know what your father wants if you never listen to him? I think we're all used to telling our kids, will you listen to me? <laughs> Aren't we? <laughs> you can almost hear, hear God sometimes saying, would you listen to me? <laughs> so, uh, and you'll recall the scriptures that Jesus has um, often said where if we pray in his name, he will do it. Or if you ask anything in my will. And we think sometimes that if we just say it in Jesus' name, that that makes it work. But if you think about it, uh, if you are doing anything in someone's name, if you're someone in a company who can sign documents in the company's name, then actually what you're doing is you have to know what the company wants and you have to represent what the company wants. Uh, you have to be like an ambassador for the company. So if you do anything in anybody's name, you must know them and what they want and you must represent what they want and set aside your own wants for that. And again... Uh, if you want, if you need to pray in the will of God, you need to know what the Father wants, and to know what He wants, you have to listen to Him. So to intercede is actually to pray on behalf of others, the Kingdom Come prayer. So to pray Kingdom Come into another's life, or a community, or a nation's life, we need to be very clear, have a very clear vision what Kingdom Come looks like. And what the author of it all wants. So how will we know what he wants unless we listen to him? That's right. So we've got to allow ourselves to get really so close that we know both in our mind and our heart through the work of his Holy Spirit what he wants. We have to digest his word inwardly. So Reading of the scripture is one way of knowing what he wants and actually taking in the word. And who's described as the word in scripture? Jesus, yeah, Jesus. So it's taking in Jesus, it's taking in scripture. After all, Jesus said uh, in John 6, the one eating my flesh and drinking my blood abides in me and I in him. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now, those are very sort of, um, what would you say, shocking words. And all the more when you think he was speaking to the Jews, because the Jews had to eat meat that had no blood in it. They weren't allowed to touch blood or eat blood, because in the Old Testament it talked about the life being in the blood. So to say to a Jew, eat my flesh and drink my blood, was quite shocking altogether. It wasn't very kosher, as we say here. So, um, so a terrible thing to say for the, for the listeners. And yet, what is he saying? You know, what is he saying? And I'm sure there's, there's really layers in this statement, and I've been thinking quite a lot about it, and there are layers in it. But for the purposes today, I'm just touching one layer, which is really that he's expressing the depth of knowing him that he wants, so that we become 
almost part of his flesh and blood. We talk about people being your own flesh and blood. He wants us to be so close that we are his own flesh and blood and we know him. He wants to know us and we, he wants us to know him. So as close as you can possibly get, as close as you can possibly get, he is in the Father, he is in us, we are in him. It's a very close kind of circle, isn't it? It's very close. I think we can't even hardly understand it, but we can begin to understand that he wants this closeness. And then we can begin to understand what he wants. And the only way to get that is really to spend time with him, to really encounter and experience his presence in such a way that he touches every part of us. He touches us physically. He touches us intellectually. He touches us emotionally, spiritually. You might remember um, in the Song of Solomon, there's a line that crops up quite often. This is like a love affair between God and his people. And that's come away with me, my love. Come away with me. And he wants us to do that. And, the, you know, in the, in the throes of love. I'm still in the throes of love, yeah. Isn't it? You just want to get away with the one that you love. You want to get away into a quiet place. So, um, yeah. So sometimes Brian and I are not available because, you know, <laughs> so we're away. <laughs> uh, so at the core of, of prayer entirely is the Father's presence, and it's a love relationship. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. And then I have a nice quote from St. Augustine. Uh, it should come up there as well. And you can read it. Within me was a famine of that inward food, thyself, my God. I mean, St. Augustine was, a, was a, an early church father who is quoted frequently these days. But even he felt a famine inside. And I think we are a bit starved sometimes. There are different phases in life, and sometimes it's fine. We're not feeling too starved, and other times we are. And to be in a place where we can really intercede for others, as opposed to just bring our own things to God, I think that we, we really need this place. We are so close to the Father's heart that we understand all about him. Well, not all about him, but a lot about him. <laughs> so if we lose God's presence, actually, we lose everything. So um, just to take you to Exodus 33 then. There was a place uh, when the children of Israel were wandering about the deserts. It was a place called the Tent of Meeting. And God spoke to Moses in there. It says, face to face, as if to a friend. So it was really close. And he was, God was saying to Moses, go on away into the promised land, but I'm not going to come with you. Because I'm fed up the teeth with you, and I might destroy you. That's basically what he was saying. Just go on yourselves. I'm not going had enough. So um, this was Moses' prayer then in response. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So I wonder how often it's a bit like that with us. We're so busy doing Christianity, we forget the presence of God. We just leave him standing at the door knocking to come in. Yeah, 
you know that kind of image. I think I do it quite a lot, actually. And I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be the one who knows not to do that, you know. <laughs> but I do. Because you're so busy doing and planning. And you need to take the time to actually see, is this what God wants? Or is this what I want? Yeah. So, a quote, another quote. In Pete Gregg's book, Dirty Glory, he says, and we can read it as well. There are times in all of our ordinary lives when Jesus, honestly, isn't the most exciting, enthralling reality, firing our hearts with desire. He can easily be filed away neatly in the boring but important category of life alongside Leviticus, algebra, and flossing. The modern world effervesces with alluring distractions. Satan's primary aim is to divert your attention away from Jesus. He'll use sin, sure, but also busyness, shame, pain, religion, computer games, relationships, golf, a pay rise, actually anything at all to get you to divert it from Jesus. So we really, really have got to want Jesus. We've got to want to know him more than anything else in the whole world and want to delight in his presence and hear his voice. So there's a wee picture that um, sort of God brought home to me when I was in the prayer room on one occasion. And it's a lovely picture, and some of you have already shared it with, but just with the rest of you, because just, it, it just does me good to remember it. So I have uh, five grandchildren now, and one of them's still a baby. But a few months ago, she was a little baby, Phoebe. And, um, you know, you take the baby, and you can picture it. <laughs> you can picture it. You put your hands out like this, the wee head in the hands, and you're looking into their face. But they're looking everywhere because they're still learning to focus and they're looking everywhere. And you're really keen that they would look at your eyes. You want to make eye contact. Why do you want to make eye contact? So that you can connect with them and maybe make them smile. And wouldn't that be great if you could make them smile? Don't you just love to make a baby smile? And even, an even greater success would be if you could make them laugh. You see? So, so this is a picture of you, the baby, Eyes wandering everywhere, and God the Father trying to connect with your eyes, to lock in, to connect, and to delight in you. He wants to make you smile, and he wants to make you laugh, and he wants to tell you things. He has everything to tell you, just like the parent has everything to tell their child as they grow up, and he tells you it in the bits that you can take in. But he has so much to tell you. So um, I think I just love that picture. And even, you know, at this late stage of my life, I'm beginning to come closer and closer still. Now, part of that is just because I have more time on my hands. Um, but somehow or another, if we find it important enough, we will make time. We do make time for the things we want to do, and that's the truth, isn't it? Don't we make time for the things we really want to do? I think we do. Nearly all of us. So if we can, if we can catch this, that this is something we really need to do, and we all know the Mary-Martha story, don't we? So I'm learning at last to be more of a Mary and less of a Martha. Where I want to sit at his feet and hang on his every word and just let him love me. And that's quite something. So we're talking, when we're talking prayer, we're talking relationship. We're not talking religion, we're talking relationship. And it changes everything. 
Another quote from Pete Gregg, and he says, Urgent voices are calling us to abandon the familiar comforts of Christendom, to strike out into the unknown and rediscover the Nazarene. Let him hack our systems and take us back to the place of willing surrender in which we will simply do anything, go anywhere, say anything, he tells us. That's quite a place, isn't it? That's quite a place. We, we don't often get there. We, I think very often when we're in worship, we feel these things. Even this morning, we were singing some intercession prayers, if you like, and we can do that. Uh, we were singing about, do you feel the darkness tremble when the saints join in one song, the power of corporate prayer? And the darkness trembles. So when we come into this place of deep connection with our Father, then and only then can we really, really intercede at a different level. And truly prayer, kingdom, pray kingdom prayers for, um, where our ears are opened, our hearts sensitive, and our senses are heightened so that we can hear him and know what he wants through his Holy Spirit. The prayers come alive as he speaks to you into your heart and mind. And he speaks in different ways. He speaks with words of scripture. He speaks with um, uh, visions. He speaks with songs. He speaks with bringing to mind just words. For example, uh, at one of the powerhouse prayer gatherings a wee while ago, it was in Colin, I don't know if Colin and Helen are here, but in Colin and Helen's house. And just as we took time to presence ourselves with Jesus, I, not an audible voice, but the, ver the very clear words came into my head. Do you love me, Diane? And I said, yes, I do. And then I thought, do you know, I recognize those words. Those are words in scripture. He said to Peter, do you love me? Peter. Peter said he did, and he asked him three times, and then he said, feed my sheep. So I have carried that word with me, and any opportunity I get to feed sheep, <laughs> uh, I do that. And so when Jason asked me what I speak today, it was only a short hesitation, because I knew I was to feed the sheep. So really what I'm doing here is I'm throwing out turnips to you all, you see, and hey, <laughs> but I just knew that God had said that to me, feed my sheep. And I might have, I might have I might have taken quite a long time to decide otherwise. But when you know what's calling on you, when you've heard his voice, then you respond to it and you do the things he calls you to do. And maybe even he uses you to answer some of your intercessions and prayers because uh, the prayer underpins things, but it's not the end. It's only the beginning, but it must be the beginning. There's really, in the prayer room, what happens for me up there is I really experience the Father's presence because I go intentionally to pray. There are things in the prayer room that help me to focus my mind on God. And then as I focus on him, then he begins to speak to me. And I just bathe really in his love. So that's our Father, if you like. Our Father. Know his Father heart. Know he's a good, good Father. And that he wants to love you and he delights in you. And then you want to praise. You want to say, hallowed be your name and enter into worship. And then you want to pray, thy kingdom come. Pray for others. And he brings you into a place where you begin to see things like he sees them and pray things that he wants. So instead of going around and saying, oh, there's a map of Ireland, God bless Ireland. That's that done. There's something else. It begins to lay on your heart a, a weight 
and a care and a compassion for the people in Ireland. And maybe a particular place for you that you're not asking me to pray for because none of us can pray for everything. But he will guide us into the things he wants us to pray for. So intercessory prayer is in fact a partnership with God. And the incredible biblical reality is <clears throat> that when we intercede, we harness our wills with God's will to resist Satan's will. And then mighty things happen. Even global things happen. And we really, really get to the heart of it all when he breaks our heart for the things that break his heart. In fact, <clears throat> the truth is that there are terrible evils that will only be restrained and amazing blessings that will only be released by our prayers. In the, in the Lord's Prayer again, we pray, deliver us from evil. And Jesus is actually pointing out there that our prayers can have an impact on the flow of evil. That's quite something. It really is quite something when we are disturbed by evil to know that we can actually have an impact on that. But when our prayers are reduced to a technique to get God to say yes to what we want and have not worried at all what he wants, then what happens is that um, it really doesn't work. It's just wishful thinking. But when we join in with him and say amen to his priorities, then expect everything. Karl Barth put it like this. We participate in the reign of Christ through prayer. In him, we then find ourselves at the very seat of government, at the very heart of the mystery and the purpose of all occurrence. And to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Another church father called John, and I don't know how to say this, Chrysostom or something like that in the fourth century, puts it like this, and listen to this because you'll hear that these are all scriptural examples. The potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It has extinguished uh, wars. It has appeased the elements. It has expelled demons, burst the chains of death, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. So, great power, great power. And the Bible teaches us that prayer is the most powerful transformational force in the lives of individuals, churches, and even nations. In fact, there probably hasn't been a single example of a transformational Christian re renewal that didn't start in prayer. And when we become really hungry again for God, for his presence and his power, so much so that we finally turn again to a persevering type of prayer. Persevering, it's, it can take a while. Seeking his face, and then we will know he will act. So, just to take us forward, some things we can do about all this. So, first thing is we want to want it. We need to want it, don't we? We have to want to want this. So, here's a prayer. Um, I've just put it up for you now, our... Yeah, and I didn't write this. I don't write anything as profound as this, <laughs> but it's really good. I've loved that it. it's it's uh, it's a mixture of uh, two people really. Lord, where I am thirsty for your presence, fill my cup. 
and let me drink. And where I'm not thirsty at all, rub salt on my lips that I may desire you deeply and seek your face. So that's, that's the starting point, want to want it. And then you simply move into this place of presence. Our Father, Noah's Father heart, delight in it, let him delight in you. Allow him to love you and love him back. It's quite a thing, it really is. It's an amazing experience, I think. I was a Christian for a while, you know, before I experienced this, because I was a very good um, traditional Christian. I did, I did know Jesus, but you know, in this kind of a way, you say you know him, but, but you don't let him have too much impact on your life, because that, you might think that wouldn't be a very good thing if he actually changed you in any way, or wanted you to do something that didn't fit in with the culture you were brought up in. So um, there came a time, though, that I went to a group, and in this group, they knew Jesus in a different way. And it was either get out that door quick, or it was allow the Holy Spirit to change me, which is what I did. And I could never, ever again, I can never forget that now I know God in a different way to what I used to know. It's, uh, it's in here. It's part of me, whereas before it was kind of around me. Uh, so we need to get the presence. We need to worship him. And you know, as we worship here as a body, we love it. We feel the presence of God. You can do that by yourself too. You can. And then we move into the kingdom prayers. So it's want to want it. Start with our Father. Move into our ki your kingdom come prayers. And allow him to work in you. And what he'll do is he'll make you indignant about the things that he cares about. He'll break your heart for the things that uh, break his. And then you can really intercede. We read that verse at the start about standing in the gap. And when there's no one to stand in the gap, well then, judgment comes or things don't change. And that's fairly clear from that verse at the start. I found no one, so I will pour out my wrath. He wants us, actually. We don't know why, but he does. He wants us to do this. And um, someone once said it's to give us the dignity of causality is why he asks us to pray and intercede and make a difference through prayer. So as we intercede, we integrate with the heart and mind of God. And this is uh, putting down foundations. So think of it like this. If you're going to build a skyscraper, you need a very deep foundation, don't you? It has to go down really deep. It has to be really strong, probably iron girders or reinforced concrete or some of the more engineer types out there would know what goes in there. But it's a lot of digging and it's a lot of hard work. And intercessory prayer is the foundation on which anything that will stand will, will begin to be built properly. If you don't put down the foundation, then it won't stand, it'll fall. So as a church, if we want to see things happen in this town and in this country, we have to intercede. There is no shortcut. You have to. You have to put down the foundation, and then you can truly rejoice when you see the building start to go up. Now, I don't necessarily obviously mean a literal building, but whatever it is that we're doing, reaching the town, wanting people to come to faith, wanting to grow his body, the church. So we really have to do it as a primary task. No building goes up until the foundation is put down. That's just a reality in, in prayer as well. 
And then we can be filled with expectation because we know, when we know his heart and he affects us, we know we're praying in his will and we know we can ask in his name and expect answers. And another thing we can do is we can get together and pray because there is great power where two or three are gathered together in his name. And we have, um, we have the prayer room on, open on Sunday morning. We're gathering from half ten, but the, the building here is open from ten o'clock, so if there's no other time, suits you. Come in and pray up there. I'm only, it's there as a, as a means of a, giving you a space where you can actually settle yourself and pray. And because you come and you're intentional about it, you most likely will. Whereas at home, you have all these distractions. We all have lots of distractions, some more than others, and especially if you have little children, because they're always wanting, 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 aren't they? They always need your attention, and they've got to get attention. But you might be able to find 10 minutes somewhere. Um, but for those who can, the prayer rooms open on Tuesdays from, eight, from 6 in the morning until 8 in the evening. And that's to give you a chance to come in maybe before work, during the day if you're free, lunchtime if you're free, or on the way home from work in the evening. We have at the minute anywhere from 10 to 20 people every Tuesday, and I think that's pretty good. But you know it would be lovely if you couldn't get in, if there was a queue at the door. <laughs> so um, I read a story recently about the Korean church, and they have a prayer gathering at, um, or one of them anyway, has a prayer gathering at 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, and 6 in the morning. And when the place is full and it holds a lot of people, the rest just stand outside and wait till the doors open again for the next one. And there's mighty things have happened there. And I'm sure the praying church there maybe had something to do with the fact that all of a sudden North Korea stopped being bullies. Well, that well, you know, if you interpret the news the way it's given to you. But there was a lot of rumblings about North Korea wanting to be an aggressor against other countries. And suddenly it just kind of subsided. So I'm sure there's partly to do with that. So our prayers make a difference. We need to do them. Um, your practice for this week then is try and get into the prayer room. Try and get in. And then also you have these prayer cards here on your seats. And um, if you take this time with God, write down a few things that he puts on your heart to pray for. Just as very simple. There's just space to write things. And be faithful and pray about those things. Every day, say, for the next week. A week's probably not going to do it, but it might because the, spirit, the kingdom breaks in when we don't expect. But if we know we're interceding, the kingdom will break in far more often. And we, uh, we just create an opening for heaven to touch earth, and it's an amazing thing. Okay, so really I think that's more than enough said, <laughs> given the time. There are lots of stories I could tell, but I'm not going to tell anymore. What I want us to do now is just to finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Let's say it nice and slowly so we kind of think about the words. And then remember this week to, if you can at all, spend a while in the prayer room and do your prayer cards. Okay, let's stand together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.